Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 54 of the show, and it's a good one for you. Thanksgiving week is upon us, which means that we are through 11 weeks of the NFL season, moving on to week 12, and we have a couple more PGA Tour events that have taken place. Uh, NBA and NHL seasons are still continuing to be in full swing there. College basketball, college football, uh, some rankings updates to get into, playoff standings in college football, and then a jam-packed around-the-island episode, lots of NFL news, uh, some end-of-the-year baseball awards were given out along with uh, the free agency frenzy that has already started, and uh, just plenty of news in general to get into. And so with that, we're going to start off like we normally do in the PGA Tour, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time in the PGA Tour just simply because... The last three events uh, that we need to catch up on really aren't great events. There was one good one and two not-so-good ones to kind of recap. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that because we got a lot to get into elsewhere. But the first event to recap on the PGA Tour was the uh, Worldwide Technology Championship at Mayakoba, which was previously named the Mayakoba Golf Classic. And that's at the El Camaleon Golf Course at Mayakoba, which is in Quintana Roo, Mexico. Uh, par 71, distance was 7,017 yards. Uh, Quintana Roo is a beautiful place in Mexico. Uh, been there a couple of times, uh, flown into that airport. It's a good vacation spot, great weather. So the course was in great shape. A lot of big-name players in this one uh, all throughout the tournament. Uh, but in the end, Victor Hovland was your winner at 23 under par. And that was a four-shot victory over Carlos Ortiz, who finished at 19 under par. The hometown uh, Mexican golfer, Carlos Ortiz. Now, with Victor Hovland, he, uh, this was his third victory on tour. And he was actually the defending champion at this event. And his victory at Mayakoba was the first back-to-back title course, uh, title win in the course's history and the first repeat victory on tour since 2019. So Hovland won at Mayakoba in 2020 and again in 2021, which is the first time in two years that that's happened on tour and the first time that it's happened at the Mayakoba Golf Course or El Camaleon Golf Course. So it was a good, solid victory. Uh, He ended up shooting a nine-under round of 62 on Saturday's third round, which kind of catapulted him up uh, to the top of the leaderboard, and then he finished it off with a four under 67 uh, on Sunday. But uh, like I said, he won 23 under par, Carlos Ortiz 19 under par, Justin Thomas 18 under par, and Scotty Scheffler was fourth at 17 under par. Uh, there was a two-way tie 
for fifth with Matthew Wolf and Joaquin Neiman at 16 under par. Um, Scheffler, at the end of round two, Scheffler, he shot a seven under 64 in round two. It looked like Scheffler was going to be in contention for a victory at Mayakoba, but um, Hovland's round three, that 62 that we talked about, that kind of just shot him up there. So all in all, good tournament at a great course and uh, definitely was was good. That was probably the most notable tournament of the past couple. But the weekend after Mayakoba was the uh, Houston Open, and that was at the Memorial Park Golf Course in Houston, Texas. So par 70, distance was 7,412 yards. This one did not feature a whole lot of big-name players. There were a couple, uh, but not many. Very low scoring. For a par 70, uh, just, you know, those are kind of hit or miss in terms of they either go um, really low or the scores stay kind of where you would expect. And the winner in this one was Jason Kokrak with a score of 10 under par. He beat uh, Kevin Tway and Scotty Scheffler, who finished at eight under par. So it was a two-shot victory for Kokrak. Uh, now, Kokrak, uh, he was kind of, he shot uh, three under in round one and then one over in round two. So he he's only sitting at two under uh, through the first two rounds. Then he rattled off a four under 66 in round three and then finished strong with a five under 65 in round four and in that final round Kokrak actually birdied four of his last six holes uh in that round to capture his third career victory on tour and uh he won twice last year and then already once so far this year so good victory for Kokrak like I mentioned Kevin Tway eight under and Scotty Scheffler eight under fresh off of his uh top four performance the week before at Mayakoba comes to Houston and gets him a T2. So Scheffler's been playing good golf. This is all on the heels of uh, the Ryder Cup in which Scheffler was an integral part of that, especially in Sunday's uh, head-to-head matchups where he knocked off John Rahm. Uh, But fourth place was Kramer Hickok at 7-under, and then there was a two-way tie at fifth at 6-under par between Joel Dahman and Martin Trainer. So again, not a whole lot of big names uh, in this one. Uh, there were some, like I said, but uh, Kokrak was your winner in Houston. And then this past weekend's tournament, we move over to the RSM Classic. And that is held at the Sea Island Resort Golf Course in St. Simons Island, Georgia. It uh, They actually played two courses, the Seaside Course and the Plantation Course, the seaside course was a par 70, distance 7,005 yards, and the plantation course was a par 72, distance 7,060 yards. And again, just kind of a lackluster field. Uh, you had a few few big-name players, Cam Smith, Webb Simpson, uh, Corey Connors were in this one, uh, Matt Kuchar, uh, but all in all, pretty, pretty um, star or lack of star-studded field here in this one. Your winner was Taylor Gooch with a score of 22 under par. And he uh, was a three-shot winner over Mackenzie Hughes at 19 under par. Now with Taylor Gooch, he this was his very first career victory on tour, okay? And uh, he did so in pretty commanding fashion 
his worst round was a 67. That was on uh, Sunday, or uh, Saturday, rather. But uh, he was pretty much in control of this thing from start to finish. Mackenzie Hughes, he's always, uh, he's he's a good golfer. He's always kind of near the top. Uh, he came out on Sunday's final round with a 62, Mackenzie Hughes did. Uh, and that catapulted him up to that solo second. Third place was Sebastian Munoz at 18 under par. And there was a four-way tie for fourth. Tyler McCumber, Cameron Smith, Tom Hoagie, and Seamus Power all finished at 15 under par, which was seven shots back of Gooch. So uh, Gooch ended up uh, victorious there uh, at the RSM Classic and got 500 FedEx Cup points to boot. So um, no PGA event this upcoming week, of course, due to the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, But there is uh, a pretty prolific PGA Tour event that will take place on Friday, November 25th. Of course, that's Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, and we'll get into that uh, in Around the Island here shortly. But we'll move on to the National Football League and do a standings update there. We are through 11 weeks of the NFL season, which means we are in week 12, and it is Thanksgiving week. And of course, uh, as it usually is, there are three Thanksgiving Day games that we uh, have this this Thursday. Uh, the first one, before we do a standings update, we'll just tell you the Thanksgiving matchups. The first one is the early game, and that's the Chicago Bears traveling to Detroit to take on the Detroit Lions. A battle of struggling teams there. The mid-afternoon game, the Las Vegas Raiders come here to Dallas to play the Dallas Cowboys. And the nightcap is the Buffalo Bills and the New Orleans Saints. So now the Saints are kind of got hit with the uh, injury bug here lately. So we'll see if uh, what their roster looks like. But three, three fun games on the schedule. Uh, even though that first one's two bad teams, it might still be a good competitive game. But um, nonetheless, uh, the standings updates will start off in the AFC. In the AFC East, the New England Patriots have risen from the dead. Uh, they started out 2-4. and four. They are now currently atop the division at 7-4. and four. They're on a five-game winning streak, and Mac Jones looks every bit the part of the franchise quarterback they drafted him to be. Truthfully, he's looked to be the most impressive of the rookie quarterbacks so far this season, and uh, that defense is really stepping up. Might be one of the best defenses in the league, of course, led by Bill Belichick. So I would expect the Patriots to be in and around the division title this year for sure. Uh, second place is the Buffalo Bills at 6-4. and four. They've um, beaten a lot of bad teams. They have beaten Kansas City at Arrowhead. But other than that, the resume is not that impressive. <clears throat> They've shown that um, they can be beat. Uh, they did lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars a couple weeks ago, so that was kind of a head-scratcher. Uh, but their offense is still one of the better offenses in the league, led by Josh Allen. Third place in the division is the Miami Dolphins at 4-7. and seven. Uh, They're on a three-game winning streak, believe it or not. They beat the Baltimore Ravens in week, uh, I guess, what was it, 11 on Thursday night football? and uh, or, week 12, or week 10, rather, Thursday night football. And um, looked really good doing so. Defense, again, kind of helping them out. Tua Tagovailoa is finally healthy, so uh, they should have a full complement of weapons here once they get Will Fuller back. And then last in the AFC East, the New York Jets. They're 2-8. and eight. 
Uh, I would fully expect them to have a top three pick in the draft. <clears throat> Over in the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens are 7-3. Uh, they won in Chicago this past week in Week 11 without uh, Lamar Jackson. Now, speaking of Lamar Jackson, since our last episode, Lamar Jackson has officially passed Michael Vick for the most 100-yard rushing games by a quarterback in NFL history with 12. So Michael Vick had been at 11. He uh, got passed by Lamar Jackson. I would fully expect uh, by the time Lamar Jackson's career is over that uh, that number is going to probably double or triple. Uh, Second place in the AFC North. This might be the most competitive division. I've been saying that. The Cincinnati Bengals, they're 6-4, and four, um, just come off the bye with a with a win. And um, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, that, that tandem is picking up right where they left off uh, at LSU in that 2019 season. Good chemistry there. The Bengals look like they'll probably be a wild card team. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, 5-4-1. Uh, they tied the Detroit Lions in Week 10. Somehow tied at home. And uh, lost a tough one on Sunday night here in Week 11 to the L.A. Chargers. But uh, came back, erased a 17-point deficit in that fourth quarter. Uh, that was with Roethlisberger uh, showing up after missing all week with COVID. So he didn't practice, and they still almost won. Steel, I would not count the Steelers out. Mike Tomlin uh, knows how to coach and knows how to get those guys going. Then last in the AFC North, the Cleveland Browns. They're 6-5. and five. Uh, Baker Mayfield's all kinds of banged up. Shoulder, knee, uh, just he's, he's not 100% healthy. Hasn't been for weeks, probably won't be for weeks. Uh, Nick Chubb came off the COVID list to the tune of 140 yards and a touchdown against the Lions. They barely beat the Lions, 13-10 to 10 here in Week 11. So um, the whole Odell Beckham Jr. saga, he's officially released. We talked about that. And uh, so we'll, we'll see where they end up. But Cleveland, uh, back in Week 9, uh, they became the fourth team in NFL history to have a passing touchdown, a rushing touchdown, and a defensive touchdown of 60-plus yards in the same game. And the three other teams to do that in history, it all happened in the 1960s. So Cleveland making a little bit of history there. That's kind of impressive when you think about it, to have three different touchdowns, offense, defense, and special teams, or defense rather, I guess, <clears throat> of 60-plus yards. So uh, Cleveland, I, I just I don't know about them. You know, with, with the health of Baker Mayfield and how competitive that division is, I just don't see... I, I can certainly see the Browns missing the playoffs. Over in the AFC South, the Tennessee Titans, uh, they probably have the most interesting resume. Uh, they've beaten some real heavy hitters uh, in that they've beaten the Chiefs, uh, they've beaten the Rams, but they've also lost to the Jets and the Texans. So a weird resume. They're 8-3. and three. Um, They're winning the division currently over the Indianapolis Colts, who are 6-5. and five. Jonathan Taylor with the Colts. He's just an absolute beast. Uh, Derrick Henry got hurt for the Titans, so they've been without him. Probably will be without him for the rest of the year. But Jonathan Taylor has stepped in as the NFL MVP in the meantime. He has eight straight games of over 100 yards and a touchdown. Uh, that's just insane. He had over 200 scrimmage yards 
in week 11, five touchdowns. I mean, the guy is, he's on pace for 2,000 rushing yards and 20 touchdowns. So um, as long as he's healthy, the Colts are going to be in contention for a playoff spot. They do have a brutal schedule, though, coming up. Third place uh, and fourth place, really, the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're both 2-8, and eight, and I would fully expect those two plus the Jets to comprise the uh, uh, at least three of the top four or five picks in the draft. Uh, over in the AFC West, the Kansas City Chiefs, they're up top. They're on a four-game winning streak. They're seven and four. Uh, they were, <clears throat> they were three and four. Gone all the way up to seven and four. The offense looks uh, a little bit better than it did, but the main improvement has been on defense. Their defense was absolutely stifling against the Cowboys this past week, um, holding Dak Prescott uh, and that potent Cowboys offense out of the end zone. But uh, the Chiefs, aside from Mahomes' struggles this year, they've looked uh, pretty good here as of late, especially on that defensive side. Uh, the L.A. Chargers are 6-4. and four. Justin Herbert put a spectacular performance out there on Sunday Night Football against Pittsburgh this past week. Had a career-high 90 rushing yards. Uh, Herbert is one of the top few elite young quarterbacks in the game. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders and the Denver Broncos both at 5-5. Five and five. Uh, Vegas is on a three-game losing streak. Um, they had the Henry Ruggs situation happen. Kind of, and John Gruden got fired. So, uh, kind of some um, other circumstances there that the Vegas Raiders seem to not be able to get out of their heads. They're on a little bit of a slide. They come down to Dallas here, like I mentioned, for Thanksgiving. Hopefully, the Cowboys can uh, tune them up, but we'll see on that. The Denver Broncos, uh, man, they started out three and zero, and now they're five and five. So. Uh, they've not played well over the last eight weeks, seven weeks. But, um, yeah, <clears throat> in the competitive AFC, I just don't see the Broncos being a playoff team. Over in the NFC, start off in the NFC East. My Dallas Cowboys are atop that division at 7-3. and three. Uh, Just came off a stinker against the Chiefs last weekend, hoping they can rebound. Their next two games are on Thursday night. Thursday, Thanksgiving, and then the following Thursday on Thursday night football against the Saints. So hoping that they can uh, put a couple of wins together there. But nonetheless, they are 7-3. and three. Part of the reason is because of that defense. Uh, rookie linebacker Micah Parsons, he became the second player, not rookie, second player in NFL history to record back-to-back games of 10 tackles and three tackles for a loss. The other player to do that was Junior Seau, who, of course, is a Hall of Famer. So uh, Parsons just had three sacks on Patrick Mahomes this past week, including a strip sack. Uh, He's quickly becoming one of the best defensive players in the league. And on the offensive side, C.D. Lamb, the wide receiver, uh, got a concussion late, uh, about halfway through the game, right before halftime against the Chiefs. Hopefully he's back for Thanksgiving. But uh, he became the... First Cowboys player to have 1,500 receiving yards and 10 receiving touchdowns in his first 25 career games. So you think about all notable Cowboys wide receivers to wear the star. CeeDee Lamb is the fastest to 1,500 yards and 10 touchdowns. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, <clears throat> they're second in the division at 5-6. and six. Jalen Hurts continues to prove that he's uh, getting better by the week. Uh, he's improving as a passer but his rushing ability uh, makes him uh, very unique. 
Um, they're kind of on the outskirts of the playoffs right now, but uh, I would not be surprised if they somehow squeaked in as a wild card team with that ground game going. They just got Miles Sanders back off of IR, so uh, as long as they their receivers stay healthy, Devontae Smith is really coming coming on now. So we'll we'll see how that turns out. Washington football team, they're four and six. Um, had a couple of big wins. Um, they beat Carolina this past week in Tampa Bay the week before that. So they've they've won two games in a row. Um, I, I just they're not going to make the playoffs. New York Giants they're three and seven, last in the in the East. They're they're not making the playoffs at all. Uh, some news on the Giants uh, here and around the island. Uh, over in the NFC North, the Green Bay Packers are eight and three. They. Uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, is battling a toe injury right now. We'll see if that keeps him out of the lineup, but it sure didn't bother him this past week in Minnesota, thrown for almost 400 yards and four touchdowns uh, before they lost to Minnesota in a last-second field goal. Now the Vikings, they're 5-5. Five and five. <clears throat> A few games back of the uh, Packers, but they're probably the best team at 500, the Vikings. They have one of the best wide-receiving duos in the league. That's Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Of course, Jefferson, he became the second fastest wide receiver in NFL history to reach 2,000 career receiving yards. He did it in 24 games. The the only person who did it faster was Odell Beckham, who did it in 21. So Jefferson's been uh, an absolute beast here in his first year and a half. The Chicago Bears are third at 3-7. and seven. Um, Justin Fields is hurt, either bruised or broke some ribs in this Week 11 game against Baltimore, meaning that Andy Dalton is going to start this Thanksgiving Day game. Um, This is a lost season for the Bears. And because of that, uh, Khalil Mack, he was set to return, but uh, they went ahead and put him on season-ending IR because he's scheduled to have foot surgery. So instead of uh, putting that off, the Bears realize they are not going to make the playoffs this year, and so Khalil Mack is out for the year. Now the Detroit Lions, they're 0-9-1, so they will not finish 0-17, um, but 0-16-1 is still a possibility. Of course, they tied Pittsburgh. That team is just atrocious. Uh, everything about them, the offense, defense, the only only player worth noting is DeAndre Swift. He's a fantastic player. He um, was turning out to be a steal. They drafted him at the top of the second round a year ago, and he's proving to be uh, every bit the high draft pick that he was. Um, but, yeah, the Lions are – I'd be shocked if they won – two games this year. They've had a lot of close games, but uh, they're, they're not going anywhere. Probably going to get the first overall pick. Over in the NFC South, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're 7-3. and three. They had lost two in a row, a couple of stinkers, including one to the Washington football team. But uh, nonetheless, they got back on track on Monday night here in Week 11 against the Giants. So they're 7-3. and three. And the New Orleans Saints, they are 5-5. Five and five. Uh, again, Alvin Kamara was out last week due to a knee injury. Looks questionable for the Thanksgiving night game against Buffalo. So uh, we'll see on that. But the Saints, um, Trevor Simeon's played all right. Taysom Hill's a full participant in practice uh, this week. So we'll see if Hill uh, becomes the starter at quarterback. But uh, keep an eye on the Saints. They're they're going to be sneaky the rest of the way. They've, they've lost three in a row. So they were five and two. Now they're five and five. Uh, over in Carolina, they're five and six. Okay, they just signed Cam Newton. Uh, he became the starter in Week Eleven. It looked pretty damn good. 
Christian McCaffrey's back to full health, and he looks every bit the part uh, of the best running back, one of the best running backs in the league. Um, so Carolina's 5-6. and six. Uh, The reason that they signed Cam Newton is because Sam Darnold has a fracture in his shoulder blade, and uh, he was placed on IR. So that is the reason that they signed Cam Newton. But they are definitely a more prolific team with Cam Newton. So keep an eye on Carolina as a sneaky, sneaky play for a wild card spot. And then last in the NFC South, the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, they are just two-game losing streak. They're four and six. Just ugly on offense. They've only scored three points their last two games combined. Just absolutely atrocious. They lost by 40 to Dallas a couple weeks ago. And Matt Ryan looks like a shell of himself. Uh, but over in the NFC West, the Arizona Cardinals at 9-2. and two, And they've played two games without Kyler Murray. And they've split them, one and one. Um, Murray, uh, maybe they've played three without him. Either way, Kyler Murray, they're on a bye week this week. So he should be coming back to full health. And um, Cardinals look like they're going to be in contention for that top overall seed in the NFC to start the playoffs. The L.A. Rams, they are 7-3. and three. Uh, They've lost two in a row. Bye week came at a perfect time for them. Uh, they signed Odell Beckham Jr. to add to that offense, but they lost Robert Woods, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But, yeah, just the Rams, perfect time for a reset, and uh, I would fully expect the Rams to be in the playoffs, but uh, they got a big game against Green Bay this week in Week 12. The San Francisco 49ers, they're 5-5. Five and five. They've won two in a row, and these last two games, they've looked like a really good team. They've been able to run the ball, pound it. Debo Samuels, one of the best athletes in the league for sure. He plays wide receiver. He plays running back. It doesn't matter where he lines up. They get the ball in his hands, and that seems to be the winning formula for them. Although they did take a big hit on the offensive line as uh, – all-pro tackle Mike McGlinchey tore his quad muscle, so he's out for the year. Uh, but they still have Trent Williams on the other side. Uh, so, the, But keep an eye out, out for the 49ers. Uh, that NFC West could have three playoff teams. And then last in the NFC West, the Seattle Seahawks. They're 3-7. and seven. Just uh, they're, They are completely broken. Uh, Russ Wilson, two games coming back since his finger injury, and uh, just has not looked like himself. There's rumblings that... Uh, him and or both him and Pete Carroll might be uh, gone at the end of the year. We'll see on that. But nonetheless, Seattle is not making the playoffs this year, uh, which is fine with me. But uh, they've, they've always been a perennial playoff team. So it's weird to see Seattle struggle uh, the way they have. But like I mentioned, we're through 11 weeks. Now, going into week 12, there have been 23 games this year decided on the final play of the game either game-winning field goal, touchdown, something, which is the most by far through 11 weeks since the 1970 merger. So a lot of close games this year, and I would expect that to continue. With the way this NFL season's gone, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if there were 30 or 35 games by the end of the year decided uh, on the final play. One schedule note uh, for week 13, so not this week, but the week after uh, week after Thanksgiving, week 13, the Sunday night football game was originally supposed to be the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. But uh, since Seattle is uh, broken, we'll say, uh, the NFL decided to flex the game uh, and put the Kansas City Chiefs and the Denver Broncos in that time slot, which is a much better matchup. So uh, Seahawks and Niners, they'll be playing at the, the uh, mid-afternoon game. 
But one quick note, uh, I found this, obviously, since you guys know I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, and uh, as you know, uh, maybe maybe this might be history repeating itself here this year in the NFL, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, they won the NBA championship this past season. Uh, they last won that back in 1971. Well, in that year, 71, the Dallas Cowboys were Super Bowl champions. And in baseball, the Atlanta Braves just won the World Series. The last time they did that was in 1995. Well, in 1995, the Dallas Cowboys were Super Bowl champions. So being that the Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA championship and the Atlanta Braves won the World Series this past season, both of which their previous titles came in a Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl year, is this the year the Dallas Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl? I just thought that was pretty interesting. I do think that the Cowboys have a chance. I think that they've proven to be a legitimate team enough that they'll be in the playoffs. And if they can get uh, a home playoff game and uh, maybe get that by, I think they got a good chance to make it to the Super Bowl. But nonetheless, uh, it's been an exciting NFL season. And uh, the Thanksgiving week is always very special. So uh, enjoy the Thanksgiving football this week. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League real quick, do a standings update here in the NHL. Uh, most teams have played, well, all teams have played between 15 to 20 games so far out of the 82 on the slate. So we are approaching the quarter mark of the NHL season, and uh, we'll see some teams starting to rise to the top. Uh, we'll start off in the Eastern Conference, the Metropolitan Division. Carolina Hurricanes are 14-2-1. Uh, they're just playing at another level. Uh, they've won seven out of their last ten. Washington Capitals, 11-3-5. The New York Rangers are 11-4-3. Uh, they've been playing some good hockey as well. Uh, they've won six out of their last ten. Columbus Blue Jackets are 10-6. The Pittsburgh Penguins have started to uh, make a comeback. They didn't start off the year real well. Crosby was on COVID to start the season. He's back now. They're 8-6-4. They've won three in a row. Um, Tristan Jari, their goaltender, had back-to-back shutouts this past week. Uh, so he's uh, he's playing out of his mind. Uh, Pittsburgh looks looks pretty good. The Philadelphia Flyers, 8-5-3. Uh, they've only won four times in their last ten games. So uh, they're kind of stuck in neutral. Uh, the New Jersey Devils, uh, they're 8-5-3. and three. Got some cool new third jerseys. If you haven't seen them, go Google it. Uh, they, they look pretty cool. And then the New York Islanders. This is probably one of the bigger surprises of the NHL thus far. They're 5-8-2, dead last in the Metropolitan Division in the Eastern Conference. They've lost six games in a row. Uh, they've opened a new, brand-new arena uh, right there in Brooklyn. Uh, and... Uh, have lost, uh, I know they've played two games there at least, maybe three, but they've lost all, both games that they've played there. Uh, just not looking great for the Islanders. They, they're they they're 17 points back of the Hurricanes for that top spot. So uh, kind of a bit much to make up, I would think, at this point, but maybe they can get into contention as the season goes on. Over in the Atlantic Division of the Eastern Conference, the Florida Panthers, they are... 13-2-3, just absolutely uh, playing out of their mind. Five, uh, they're, they're five, they've won five out of their last ten. Not great, but they're on a three-game winning streak. Uh, I think they were the last team to lose a game 
uh, in this NHL season. Um, had a coaching change. Joel Quenville, of course, resigned. And uh, they've done nothing but continue to win since he left. So impressive stuff there uh, in Sunrise. Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs are 13-6-1. They're 8-2 uh, and two in their last 10, so they're playing some really good hockey. With that lineup and that payroll that they got, there's no reason that they should be anywhere but those top three spots in the division. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning are 10-4-3. Again, they kind of started off a little rough coming off a of back-to-back Stanley Cups, but they've won seven out of their last 10. They're looking pretty solid. Certainly wouldn't want to play them uh, in the playoffs. One of the more surprising teams, <clears throat> the uh, young and talented Detroit Red Wings. They are fourth in the Atlantic. They're 8-9-3. and three. Uh, Total youth movement going on in Detroit. We talked about that last week. Um, but they are actually being fairly competitive right now. They have 19 points in 20 games, which is, I think they already have about half as many wins as they did all of last year. So they are uh, are coming up close to it. So they're, I don't know if they'll be a playoff team, probably not in that division with the Boston Bruins right on their heels, but uh, Detroit is looking a lot better, and I think it's happening a lot faster than what the Red Wings uh, had anticipated. But like I just mentioned, the Boston Bruins, they're 9-6. and six. They've played five fewer games than the Red Wings, and they're only a point behind them. So yeah, I think Boston will get in over the wings when it's all said and done, but uh, right now Boston... Uh, they've won six out of their last ten. <clears throat> now, Buffalo, the Sabres are 7-9-2. and two. They're on a three-game losing streak. They've traded Jack Eichel, and uh, they started out, I think, with, what, three or four and oh, maybe, some, maybe five and oh. They started out really good. Now they've just uh, kind of been going the opposite direction. But, yeah, I would expect Buffalo to be nowhere but the bottom of that division. Now, one of, again, talk about surprises uh Montreal Canadiens they've played 20 games they're 5-13 and 2 just completely atrocious all they've they've won 3 times in their last 10 games um just they were last year's Eastern Conference champion uh they made it to the Stanley Cup final well I say that last year last year's playoffs were kind of weird so they didn't win the Eastern Conference per se but they did make it to the Stanley Cup final last year losing to Tampa Bay but um they have pretty much the same core of players. Uh, they haven't been, uh, haven't had Carey Price in the lineup, but the fact that they're this bad is is very concerning. Now the Ottawa Senators, uh, they're four eleven and one. They're last in the Atlantic. Uh, they've won twice in their last ten. They've only played sixteen games. Now that's because they had a COVID outbreak on their team, which caused the postponement of three games. Now I think it has been. Uh, a week since that outbreak hit, so I do believe they're getting ready to resume play as I record this. But um, yeah, the Senators probably are going to be around the bottom of that division as well. Now over in the Western Conference, the Central Division, the Minnesota Wild are 11-6-1. Um, I keep waiting for them to falter somewhat, but they just keep winning. So I don't know that that's going to happen. Uh, the St. Louis Blues are 10-6-2. and uh, They... Uh, are, they've been a perennial playoff team since the last few years. Of course, they won the Cup three years ago. Uh, Winnipeg Jets, 9-5-4. and four. Uh, They've lost two in a row. Uh, they might have the best roster, one of the better rosters in the Central, maybe behind the Avalanche. Um, but uh, the Nashville Predators are 10-7-1. and one. 
They've won six out of their last 10. Speaking of those Avalanche, the Colorado Avalanche, they've played 15 games. They're 9-5-1, and, and they've won five in a row. So they are quickly moving up the Central Division standings after a very slow start. Uh, again, with that, the talent that they have on that team, they shouldn't really be anywhere but the top three in that division the rest of the way. The Dallas Stars. Uh, my Stars are in sixth place in the Central. They're 7-7-2, seven, seven, and, and they've gone 4-4-2 four, four, and two in their last 10. Uh, talk about a team in neutral. Like, they just, I don't know what it is about the Stars. Um, their MO is to get down by two goals and then make it an interesting finish. That's just not a winning recipe, and they have the talent to be in the playoffs. Of course, they're two years removed from the Stanley Cup final. They won the Western Conference uh, in the 2020 season that finished in the bubble. So uh, since then, it's kind of been a, a downward fall for the Stars. So it's I'm hoping that they turn it around. I just keep waiting to see more, and it's just not happening. So keep an eye on Dallas, though. They have the talent to turn it around. The Chicago Blackhawks are 6-10-2, and and the Arizona Coyotes are 4-13-2, although they have won two in a row, uh, last in the Central. Now, over in the Pacific Division, the Calgary Flames, 11-3-5. Uh, they've won three in a row. Jacob Markstrom, their goalie, uh, they've played 19 games, the Flames have. Markstrom has not played in all 19, but what he has done is had five shutouts this year. Uh, that's just incredible, five shutouts so far in the first quarter of the season. Uh, that's that's truly remarkable when you think he's on pace for 20 shutouts this year, which is probably not going to happen, but um, it's just unbelievable. Calgary's getting some great goaltending. Uh, one point behind them, the Edmonton Oilers, 13-4. and four. They've won seven out of their last ten. Uh, they're looking really good. The Anaheim Ducks, another surprise team this year. They finished at the bottom of this division last year. They're 10-6-3. and three. Uh, they've won eight out of their last 10. Actually, have lost two in a row. So they're eight and two in their last 10. Uh, they went on a pretty good little winning streak there. Um, but they're right in the thick of it right now. Vegas Golden Knights, they're 11 and eight. They've won seven out of their last 10. Uh, they're coming back like Colorado. Started off a little slow, but now they're starting to climb up the standings. San Jose Sharks, they're nine, eight, and one. Uh, they, they started out hot and have kind of cooled down. Uh, sixth place, the LA Kings at eight, seven, and three. They've won six out of their last ten. The Vancouver Canucks, six, eleven, and two. Probably not going anywhere this year. And then the new Seattle Kraken, probably uh, one of my favorite teams to watch, just because they're new. They got a lot of good young players. They'll be really good probably in three to five years. But uh, they're on the struggle bus so far this season. They're five and twelve. They've only won twice in their last ten. Uh, but I still watch the Kraken any chance that I get. But again, that's the NHL season so far. Uh, we're about a quarter of the way through, coming up on a quarter of the way through the season. And uh, we we got uh, the good teams kind of rising up here, and the bad teams kind of settling down in at the bottom. But it should be a fun uh, rest of the season. But we'll move on to the National Basketball Association and do a standings update here in the NBA. Uh, it's just like the NHL here. Most teams have played between... Uh, 16 to 18 games or so. So they're a few games behind most teams in the NHL. Uh, but they're right on course to where they need to be to finish out their 82-game season. 
Uh, still a lot of basketball left, obviously. We'll start off in the Eastern Conference. We'll just do conference standings instead of divisional standings, since that's what's more important. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, the Brooklyn Nets, they are atop the East at the moment at 13-5. and They're on a three-game winning streak, and they've won eight out of their last ten, so they're looking really good. Still no word on Kyrie Irving. I would assume uh, his stance is so strong on the vaccination, I would assume they'll be without Kyrie for the entire year. Uh, at least that's how it's been so far. Uh, the Miami Heat, they're second in the East currently at 12-6. and six. Uh, won six out of their last 10. They're looking good. Tyler Hero the other night had uh, 31 points against the Pistons. Looked really good. Uh, of course, they still have Jimmy Butler, and they added Kyle Lowry to that mix. That that trio is working out really well. Over in Chicago, they're third in the East. The Bulls, they're 12-6. and six. Uh, A lot of positive stuff that we've seen so far from the Bulls. They've been kind of a... I don't want to say a surprise, but uh, they added DeMar DeRozan and Lonzo Ball to go with Zach Levine. So uh, that team's rolling. You know, they're looking good. I, I fully suspect that they'll be comfortably in the playoffs this year. The Washington Wizards are currently fourth at 11-6. and six. Uh, They were a bubble team last year, so they've, they've played pretty well to start the year. Uh, Bradley Beal, of course, one of the best pure scorers in the league. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets, they've been a Pretty good surprise uh, after losing Lonzo Ball this past offseason. They're 11-8. and eight. They've won six out of their last ten, currently in fifth in the East. Sixth place is the New York Knicks. They're 10-8, and eight. Uh, five and 5-5 five over their last ten. So they're, they're kind of right where you would expect, I guess. They, they made the playoffs last year. Julius Randle still looks like an all-star player. The seventh seed, the Boston Celtics, they're ten and eight as well. They've won three in a row, and seven out of their last ten. Uh, they're they're looking good. They still have obviously one of the better lineups on paper, and then probably the biggest disappointment thus far is the Milwaukee Bucks. They're eighth in the East currently at ten and eight. They have won four in a row, so they were six and eight. They've put together a four game winning streak. Uh, they just beat the Tar out of the Magic the other night. Uh, by like 30 or 40 points almost. Uh, but, you know, they have Giannis, they have Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. They're the defending NBA champions. So they're going to be around. Uh, no no need to worry just yet on the Bucks. Uh, another disappointing team this year, the Philadelphia 76ers. They're also 10-8. and eight. Uh, The Ben Simmons thing, He, uh, I don't think this team will ever be right until Ben Simmons leaves. Um, they still have, of course, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, <clears throat> but until they get Ben Simmons out of there, I just I don't see the 76ers really clicking. Tenth, the Cleveland Cavaliers at nine and nine. Uh, they got some tough news though. Uh, their point guard, young, probably their one of their best players, Colin Sexton. He tore his left meniscus, uh, and he's going to be out for the rest of the year due to surgery on that. <clears throat> so tough blow to Cleveland. Uh, they're hanging around. The playoffs currently, uh, they're on a four-game losing streak though. So they lost Colin Sexton, and then they've lost five games in or four games in a row. The Atlanta Hawks, they're nine and nine as well. They're eleventh currently in the East. They're on a five-game winning streak, believe it or not, and they're still only five hundred. Uh, but they again have a good young core. Trey Young, one of the best uh, players in the game, obviously. Uh, Toronto Raptors, they're the twelfth seed at eight and ten. 
Indiana Pacers at 8 and 11. Uh, the Detroit Pistons are not in last place. They're 4 and 13. They've lost 3 in a row and then the Orlando Magic are 4 and 14, last place in the East. They've also lost 3 in a row, only have won twice in their last 10. Um but the the pit, I'm going to go back to the Pistons. First overall pick Cade Cunningham. He got off to a pretty slow start this season uh production-wise, uh, but he's picked it up as of late. Looks really good. Looks like the first overall pick. He had his first career triple-double the other night. So uh, he's he's coming along nicely here 17 games into the season for them. But over in the Western Conference, <clears throat> this, is, this has been a, a pretty competitive conference thus far. Uh, the Golden State Warriors, they are first in the West currently at 15-2. Best team in the NBA. Uh, they've won four in a row. Uh, nine out of their last ten. Uh, Steph Curry is just playing on another level. In fact, this past week, Steph Curry actually passed Ray Allen uh, for the most three-pointers made in NBA history all time with 3,359. So, and obviously still counting because Steph Curry is a three-pointer waiting to happen. So, uh, that team, they don't even have Klay Thompson yet. Klay Thompson's returned to full practice I would assume that we would see Clay Thompson in a game here in the next uh, probably week or two, uh, if I had to guess. Uh, but the so the Warriors are the best team in the league. The hottest team in the league is the number two seed in the Western Conference. That's the Phoenix Suns, the defending Western Conference champions. They're fourteen and three. They have won thirteen games in a row. Just absolutely unbelievable basketball being played by the Suns. Uh, you know, Devin Booker leading the charge there. Uh, DeAndre Ayton is just a monster. Uh, it was no coincidence. They're proving it was no coincidence that they won the Western Conference last year. Three seed currently, the Utah Jazz at 11-6. and six. Uh, Fourth seed, my Dallas Mavericks. Surprise uh, that they've, you know, that's been a pleasant surprise. They've played really well. Uh, they went on a three-game stretch uh, here this past week where they did not have Luka Doncic and they lost all three games. So that should tell you something. Uh, Kristaps Porzingis is finally, finally, we've been waiting for it in Dallas since Kristaps Porzingis got here, but he is finally looks healthy and he looks like the seven foot two unicorn that he is. Uh, he's been playing unbelievable basketball the last week or so. Mavs are 10 and seven, uh, won six out of their last 10. And hopefully they keep that going. Fifth seed, the Clippers at 10 and 8. Uh, they've won six out of their last 10. Uh, I don't know if they've had Kawhi Leonard yet. Um, but either way, uh, the Clippers, they're, they're the Clippers, and they're probably going to be uh, in and around a playoff berth at the end of the year. The sixth seed currently is the Portland Trailblazers. They're 10 and 8. Uh, they've won four in a row, seven out of their last 10. They look good. They're always, they're probably. One of my favorite underrated teams. Uh, you know, Dame Lillard, obviously, one of the best in the game. C.J. McCollum. Uh, Yusef Nurkic is finally healthy for them. And uh, that team looks good. And seventh seed currently, Memphis Grizzlies at 9-8. and eight. And the Denver Nuggets are the eighth seed at the moment at 9-9. Nine and nine. They have lost five games in a row. Uh, not looking good at the moment. Uh, Nikola Jokic, uh, you know, really kind of the lone bright spot thus far. The ninth seed, this is probably, again with Milwaukee, this is probably the biggest disappointment is the Los Angeles Lakers at 9 right now. They're 9-10. and 10. Uh, They've lost uh, 6 out of their last 10 games. 
not looking good at all. Uh, LeBron James just served a one-game suspension the other night for elbowing uh, the Pistons player uh, Stewart in the face. Uh, but this is the, I think, the fourth time in LeBron's career that he's been on a team that reached 10 losses before 10 wins, and the other three times were with the Cavaliers. Uh, and I believe only once out of those previous three has his team finished with a winning record at the end of the season. So uh, I certainly think the Lakers will finish with a, a winning record, and I, I believe they'll be in the playoffs. But, uh, you know, I, it's unbelievable that LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russ Westbrook, uh, you know, are playing at a 9-10 and 10 pace right now. That just, I feel like that's, the NBA is built for power duos and power trios, and they have a good one there in L.A., and it is just not working for some reason. The 10th spot currently is the Minnesota Timberwolves at 8-9. and nine. They're on a four-game winning streak. 11th uh, is Oklahoma City Thunder at 6-11. and 11. They've lost three in a row. The Sacramento Kings are 12th at 6-12. and 12. They've only won twice in their last 10. They've lost four in a row. San Antonio Spurs, uh, they're 13th. They are 4-12. Uh, they're on a five-game losing streak. And Greg Popovich obviously can coach them up, uh, but the talent or lack of talent that they have is, is going to catch up. But the Western Conference is too competitive. I just simply don't see the Spurs making the playoffs this year. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans are 14th. They're 3-16. and 16. Uh, They've only won twice in their last 10 games. And then the worst team in the NBA, last in the West, the Houston Rockets at 1-16. and 16. That is absolutely atrocious. They've lost 15 games in a row. So they started off the season 1-1 uh, one and one and uh, have not won since. They are 1-16. That is just brutal. They are going to be hanging on to that last place spot uh, throughout the entire season. But uh, still, like I said, a lot of basketball to be played. I'm curious to see how Golden State turns it on even more once Klay Thompson gets back. But... Uh, we are uh, quickly uh, approaching the quarter mark of the NBA season, so we still have a lot of good basketball to be played. But we'll move over to the NCAA and do some college football talk. We'll do a playoff rankings update. Uh, this past Tuesday, the week of Thanksgiving, there was the fourth playoff rankings, fourth set of playoff rankings that were revealed, and we'll get into those in a minute. That's really the only rankings that matter. We don't need to do the AP Top 25. We'll just go over the, the Top 25 playoff rankings, and we'll go in reverse order. But before I do that, just a few quick notes of some games that have happened. Uh, Purdue, the Boilermakers, and from the Big Ten, uh, they uh, have been giant killers. Uh, if you recall, I believe it was last year they beat Ohio State. Uh, that was ranked inside the top five. And then this year, they beat number two Iowa earlier this year. And then just a few weeks after that, they beat number three Michigan State at home. And that win over number three Michigan State was Purdue's 17th win as an unranked team versus a top five team, which is the most in FBS history. Nobody's even close to that. Uh, it's just unbelievable. I don't know what it is about Purdue, but, uh, you know, it helps that they play in the Big Ten because they play a lot of ranked opponents on a, on a yearly basis, but uh, Purdue has just been absolutely uh, crucial 
you know, in those big games, man. They they come up with some big plays. Uh, over in the SEC, Georgia, <clears throat> okay, they're, they've been the top-ranked team for most of the season, just about all of it. Um, their defense is absolutely nasty. That's what makes them the best team. Through nine games, this is backing up a couple of weeks. Uh, they've played 11 games. but So this was a couple, as of a couple weeks ago, the Georgia defense had only allowed 59 points through nine games, which is the fewest points allowed through nine games since uh, the 1993 season when it was done by the national championship winning Florida State Seminoles that year. And to top that, the Georgia Bulldogs are the first team to allow less than 13 points in each of their first nine games since another national champion early 90s Alabama team. So, uh, again, just uh, elite-level defense. There's first-round NFL talent all over the defense there, and uh, they're doing it without Adam Anderson, uh, linebacker slash D-end Adam Adam Anderson. uh, Got in some legal trouble and got uh, arrested, and he's since been released, but he's uh, obviously suspended from the team. They're still doing it without him, and that's, that's the most impressive thing. Uh, I fully suspect that they'll be in the national title game with that defense. Uh, Over in the Big 12, uh, my Texas Longhorns, you know me, uh, I am a diehard Texas Longhorn fan, and this year has been absolutely brutal. I was so stoked that we hired Steve Sarkeesian, thought he was going to come make a difference, and through five weeks, we were 4-1, and and it was looking good. And then we have lost six games in a row. All right, we are the Longhorns are four and seven. Uh, they have lost to pretty much everybody in the Big Twelve Conference, including Kansas. Now, Kansas, remember, just a few weeks ago, they played Oklahoma at home, and they almost beat Oklahoma. In fact, Kansas took a lead into the fourth quarter in that game against Oklahoma. Uh, ended up losing to Oklahoma, but. They did beat Texas, Kansas. Now, all right, so Kansas has uh, lost to Oklahoma, although they were winning much of the game, and they beat Texas. So in those two games, Kansas had averaged 40 points per game between the Texas and OU games. During their other uh, games against the rest of the Big 12, they're only averaging 8.2 points per game. So I don't know how you get those guys to show up against Texas and OU and not against the rest of the Big 12, but that is quite the difference. 40 points per game in those two games against Texas and OU, 8.2 points per game in all of the others. So just that's I thought that stat was was fascinating. But we'll we'll do some playoff rankings here and I'm just we're going to go from 25 down to 1 and we're going to kind of skip over uh you know the, these first 15 or so. At number 25, Arkansas. Uh, they, you know, they're seven and four. They've played in the SEC. They've had some good wins. Uh, Houston is number 24. Uh, they've clinched a seat in the American Athletic Conference championship game. Number 23 is Clemson. They have risen from the dead. They are eight and three. Uh, <clears throat> they, they are not playing in the ACC championship, I don't believe. Um, but um, Clemson makes an appearance for the first time in a while. Number 22 is UTSA, University of Texas at San Antonio, the Roadrunners. They are 11-0, and they are probably 
the best team that nobody knows about. All right, and um, uh, I would like to see them play an actual legitimate uh, game in a in a bowl, a legitimate opponent in a bowl game, because I think they actually would probably do all right. Number twenty one, San Diego State. They're ten and one. Number twenty, NC State. Number nineteen, Utah. Utah just beat the brakes off of Oregon this past week at home, thirty eight to seven, I believe. <clears throat> Utah is representing uh or will be representing uh Pac twelve in the in the Pac twelve championship game. Uh Wake Forest is number eighteen. They're nine and two. Number seventeen, Pittsburgh. Number 16, Iowa. Man, Iowa's been all over the place. You know, like I said, they've been up as high as number two in the country. And uh, they have they lost two games, and, and here they sit at 16, really don't have a chance to make the playoffs. Number 15, Texas A&M. They're 8-3, and three, all right? And they did beat Alabama just about three weeks ago, I believe. Um, but they, they've kind of been back and forth, too, because they've lost to Mississippi State. Uh, you know, they've lost just A&M has been kind of bipolar this year, honestly, um, especially for the roster that they have 14 Wisconsin, and they're going to be representing the big 10 West in the big 10 championship game. Uh, they started off the season really in bad shape, uh, but they, they've turned it around that ground game with Allen. He ran for like over 200 yards this past week, three or four touchdowns. <clears throat> they look good. Uh, 13 is BYU. They've been quite a surprise this year, especially after losing Zach Wilson to the draft. Uh, number 12 is Michigan State. They're 9-2. and two. They just absolutely got pummeled by Ohio State this past weekend, which is why they dropped so far. I, I never thought Michigan State was really that good of a team. I think they're solid, but I think it was kind of overblown because their schedule wasn't hard. And then they, uh, yeah, they beat Michigan, but... Uh, I just never really thought that that team was legitimate. And then it showed this past week when they just got annihilated. 11 is Oregon. They were the biggest drop in the uh, playoff rankings this week, dropping eight spots. They were three. Now they're 11. Uh, like I said, Utah just beat the tar out of them. Uh, so Oregon now is 9-2 and two and does not really have a chance to make the playoffs. Number 10, Oklahoma. They're 10-1. and one. Uh, They have... The Bedlam game this week against Oklahoma State, who we'll get to in a minute. If they win that game, they'll be in the Big 12 championship where they would play Oklahoma State again. So uh, they, in theory, Oklahoma could be a one-loss Big 12 champ, and I think that would give them an outside shot to make the playoffs uh, if they were to finish. They would have had to beat Oklahoma State uh, twice to... Uh, win the Big 12. So I think it's possible that Oklahoma could still sneak in. Ole Miss, they're number nine. They're nine and two. I just don't see them. Uh, the big uh, the big thing with, with Ole Miss is that they're not going to be a conference champion because Alabama and Georgia have already clinched the West and the East in the SEC. So Ole Miss is not going to be an SEC champion. So their, their chances of making the playoffs are zero. Um, Baylor, that number eight, they're nine and two. Uh, they've looked really good. Their defense is stingy. Uh, the problem is, is they need a little bit of help because they're nine and two. The team in front of them is number seven, Oklahoma State. All right, so this is kind of the. There's three Big Twelve teams uh, in the in the top ten. They're at seven, eight, and ten. Now Oklahoma State, they're ten and one, and they pretty much control their own destiny. They have 
the Bedlam game this week against Oklahoma at home, mind you. It's 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 in Stillwater, and uh, if they can beat Oklahoma, they've already clinched a spot in the Big Twelve championship game. So if they beat Oklahoma, I believe Baylor is in the Big Twelve title game, uh, assuming they win. Um, but if Oklahoma wins, then I think Oklahoma will join Oklahoma State in that game. So basically, Oklahoma State needs to beat Oklahoma this week. They need to win the Big 12 championship, and they would be a 12-1 and conference champion. I do believe that that would get them into the playoffs, uh, depending on how the SEC championship game turns out. At number six, Notre Dame. They're 10-1. and uh, they, Their only loss is to Cincinnati. Uh, which I think is going to cost them a shot. As long as Cincinnati wins their next two games, uh, I do not believe there is a way that Notre Dame can pass them or get into the playoffs, especially if Oklahoma State wins the Big 12 with one loss. I think Oklahoma State would pass Notre Dame at that point. Number five is Michigan. They're 10-1, and one, but pump the brakes because they play Ohio State this weekend and they're about to get killed. Uh, Ohio State is just a wrecking ball, and uh, Michigan has zero chance to win that game. Jim Jim Harbaugh has never beaten the Buckeyes, and with the roster the Buckeyes have this year, that is just simply not happening. So Michigan is going to lose this weekend. Now, if they win, if they happen to win, which, like I said, is, is probably not going to happen, but if they did, uh, they could go on to the Big Ten championship game, and if they won the Big Ten with one loss after beating Ohio State, that would give Ohio State two losses, knock them out of the playoffs. I think Michigan would actually sneak into the playoffs at that point. So uh, Michigan does have a path, but uh, I do not believe that it's uh, going to happen for them. Number four, so mind you now, the top four teams are in the playoffs for those that don't follow college football as closely. Top four teams get in. So number four is Cincinnati. They're 11-0. and They've clinched a spot in the American Athletic Conference where they will a uh, championship game where they're going to play number 24-ranked Houston. So that'll be a real big game for them. This week they have an easier game with East Carolina. Uh, so Cincinnati, if Cincinnati wins out and wins the AAC, then uh, they'll be in. I don't see how you can remove uh, a 13-0 conference champion. Um, they're the first, Cincinnati is the first, um, first group of five school to get into the top four of the college football playoff rankings. But I think as long as they win out, they control their own destiny and they'll be in the playoffs. Number three is Alabama. They actually dropped a spot because Ohio State jumped up two spots. So Alabama is third. They're 10 and one. Uh, again, they control their own destiny. They'll be playing Georgia in the SEC championship game. I think if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC title game, they're guaranteed to be in the playoffs as a one-loss conference champion. If Alabama loses to Georgia, they would then have two losses. I think that opens the door for a one-loss uh, Oklahoma State or Oklahoma team that would win the Big 12 to sneak in there ahead of Notre Dame. Uh, number two is Ohio State. Uh, they are just a machine. If you watch that game against Michigan State this past week, it was 49 to nothing at halftime. And uh, Ohio State can just go. C.J. Stroud and that trio of receivers, uh, Wilson, Olave, and Smith and Jigba, those guys are the real deal. 
Uh, I think Ohio State's going to cruise over Michigan. I think they'll cruise over Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship, and they'll be uh, solidly the number two seed in the playoffs behind the number one team, Georgia. And we just kind of talked about them. I think if Georgia uh, Georgia wins, uh, well, Georgia's if Georgia wins the SEC game title game against Alabama, they're obviously they're obviously in as the top seed in the playoffs. But I think if Georgia loses the SEC title game, I still think Georgia's in the top four because they'll only have one loss, and uh, the eye test tells you that Georgia is one of the top four teams in the country, especially with that defense. Um, so that would be where the human judgment portion of the playoff rankings would come in. But things are getting really crazy here. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll have some real clarity as to uh, what the final playoff. And by, by the time we do our next episode here on the podcast, I bet we probably have uh, the final playoff rankings set. So uh, keep an eye on that. But uh, yeah, college football is winding down. Conference championships will be going here in a couple of weeks, and it is going to be a thing of beauty. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island, and that's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. Got a lot to get into, so I'm going to try to make it fast. Start off in the NFL. The Monday Night Football broadcasts on ESPN, if you've watched it, you've known that there's been some um, Manning cast, is what it's called, with Peyton and Eli Manning. Those guys basically interview, you know, three or four guests throughout the game and talk about it. And it's pretty funny. Uh, Those guys are actually pretty hilarious. And depending on who the guests have been, some weeks have been better than others. But there seems to be kind of a curse for showing up on Manning Cast because uh, several of the guests who appeared on the Manning Cast that were current players lost their games the following week. So in week one, both Travis Kelsey and Russell Wilson were on there as guests, and they both lost in week two. Week two, Rob Gronkowski was on there, and the Bucks lost in week three. In week three, Matthew Stafford was on there, and he lost in week four. In week seven, Tom Brady was a guest, and he lost in week eight. And in week eight, Josh Allen was a guest, and you guessed it, he lost in week nine. So they haven't had any current players as a guest in the last few weeks. Uh, they didn't have one this week or the week before last, and then the Manning cast did not happen the week before that. So it's been a month. Uh, yeah, week eight was the last time they had a, a current player on there, but it's just funny because uh, it seems to be uh, Phil Mickelson. If you watched that a couple weeks ago, Phil Mickelson actually brought that up and joked that he wasn't playing in the next tournament because of the Manning cast, but uh, kind of some interesting stuff there. Um, just kind of some random NFL news. Uh, the Green Bay Packers, you know, the whole Aaron Rodgers thing, he was on the COVID list a few weeks ago. Uh, he lied about being vaccinated, etc. Well, they got fined $300,000 as a team, and then Rodgers got fined uh, $14,000. 650 bucks individually for that as well so but uh, he's back he is does have a fractured toe though Aaron Rodgers does so we'll see if he continues to play through it Uh, they do have a bye week in week 13 so that'll be helpful for them Uh, a couple of free agent signings Uh, you you probably know we talked about a couple of them earlier Uh, Deshaun Jackson uh, he got waived by the Rams he signed with the Las Vegas Raiders so he's already played in a game with the Raiders had a long catch but then a really weird fumble, um, but he basically replaces Henry Ruggs as their speed 
vertical threat. Carolina Panthers. We talked about this. Sam Darnold got hurt, so they signed Cam Newton to a one-year contract. It's worth a potential $10 million, uh, $4.5 million guaranteed. And uh, the first two games that he's played, he's looked like a worthwhile investment for them and, and gets them back on the map in terms of the playoff picture, especially with McCaffrey returning. But I, I found this funny, interesting, I guess you could say meme. It's not really a stat. But the Carolina Panthers, they are currently paying Cam Newton's replacement, Cam Newton's replacement's replacement, and Cam Newton to replace his own replacement's replacement. Now, the two replacements they're talking about are Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold. So the Panthers are still paying those two other guys. Well, of course, Darnold because he's still on their roster, but Teddy Bridgewater uh, now plays for the Denver Broncos. He's their starting quarterback. So I just thought that was funny. Uh, Wide receiver Odell Beckham, we talked about this. He signed with the L.A. Rams, um, and literally the day after he showed up to practice, Robert Woods, uh, their other fantastic receiver, uh, tore his ACL. So Odell basically steps in, replaces Robert Woods. He only had like two or or three catches in his first game before their bye week, so we'll see if he gets more involved there. But a couple of uh, other pieces of NFL news here. Uh, the New York Giants, just absolutely, they're just terrible in every way. Uh, fresh off of their Week 11 Monday night letdown this past week against Tampa Bay, they fired offensive coordinator Jason Garrett. Now, Jason Garrett was only in his second season uh, as offensive coordinator for the Giants. He had only coached 26 games. So in that 26 games that Jason Garrett was the offensive coordinator, the New York Giants only scored 42 touchdowns, which is less than two per game, which is dead last in the league during that time frame. Uh, And to basically coincide with that stat, uh, since Garrett took over in New York for 26 games, the Giants have averaged 17.2 points per game, which is 30th in the league, 309 yards per game, which is 31st in the league, next to dead last, and then had a third down conversion percentage of 37%, which is 31st in the league, again, next to dead last. So uh, the Giants finally got to see uh, why the Cowboys fired Jason Garrett as their head coach. We had gotten sick of the same mundane offense that didn't get us anywhere but either a playoff miss or a first-round exit. So... um, Hopefully uh, Garrett can figure it out. and He's a good dude. He's just not a good coach. Uh, A couple of uh, contract extensions before we move on here in the NFL. The Philadelphia Eagles, they re-signed a couple of their good young core players. Uh, Tight end Dallas Goddard signed for four years and $59 million with 35.7 guaranteed. That's a lot of money for a tight end, but uh, Goddard's big and he's athletic and – They traded away Zach Ertz, so he's the only one really they got. Uh, Corner, uh, Avante Maddox, three years, $22.5 million with 13.3 guaranteed. Now, the cool thing about that is that Maddox and Goddard are actually roommates on road trips, and they're really close friends, uh, and now they're both a lot richer. Uh, Eagles making a little push here. They're they're five and six. They've looked a little better as of late. Uh, the Denver Broncos, they re-signed wide receiver Cortland Sutton to a four-year $60.8 million contract extension with $34.9 million guaranteed. Uh, he's a fantastic receiver. The problem is, is they just don't throw him the damn ball. 
and partly because Teddy Bridgewater is not that great of a quarterback, but partly because they also have Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, Noah Fant, uh, and they like to use their running backs a lot. So I don't understand. I mean, I get why the Broncos would want to extend Sutton, but they paid him a lot of money, so he should be getting the ball more. We'll see if that happens, but uh, Sutton's been very frustrating in fantasy football this year. If you have him, you know what I'm talking about. But we'll move over to Major League Baseball. There were a lot of uh, the end-of-the-year awards that were handed out, so we'll just zip through these real quick. The 2021 Gold Glove Award winners in the American League, uh, Dallas Keuchel, Sean Murphy, Yuli Gurriel, Marcus Simeon, Matt Chapman, Carlos Correa, Andrew Benatendi, Michael Taylor, and Joey Gallo. For the National League Gold Glove winners, Max Freed, Jacob Stallings, Paul Goldschmidt, Tony uh, Edmond, Nolan Arenado, Brandon Crawford, Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, and Adam Duvall. Now you'll notice in the National League side of Gold Gloves, there are one, two, three, four, five St. Louis Cardinals in there. Uh, Cardinals did, of course, make the playoffs, but they lost in the wild card game to the Dodgers. So from Gold Glove to Silver Slugger award winners in the American League, uh, Shohei Otani, Salvador Perez, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Marcus Simeon, Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts, Cedric Mullins, Teoscar Hernandez, and Aaron Judge. In the National League, Max Freed, Buster Posey, Freddie Freeman, Ozzie Albies, Austin Riley, Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto, Nick Castellanos, and Bryce Harper. And you'll notice three of the four infield positions were Atlanta Braves, who, not coincidentally, won the World Series. So the big important awards, uh, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, that kind of stuff, the American League MVP finalists were... Uh, Angels pitcher-slash-outfielder Shohei Otani, Blue Jays third baseman Vlad Guerrero Jr., and Blue Jays second baseman-slash-shortstop Marcus Simeon. And your winner was Shohei Otani, and he was a unanimous winner. He took all 30 first-place votes from the Baseball Writers Association of America, and he became the fifth unanimous league MVP since 2000, joining Mike Trout in 2014 Albert Pujols in 2009, Barry Bonds in 2002, and Bryce Harper in 2015. Now, speaking of Bryce Harper, your National League MVP finalists were Bryce Harper, Juan Soto, and Fernando Tatis Jr. Your winner was Bryce Harper, which is his second MVP award, and Harper got 17 of the 30 first-place votes. And he became the fourth player since the year 2000 to win multiple league MVPs uh, before turning 30. And he joins Mike Trout, Albert Pujols, and Alex Rodriguez in that uh, club. And this is the first time in Major League Baseball history that all of the MVP finalists, all six of them, um, three in each league, were on non-playoff teams. And it's the first time since 1987 that neither MVP winner played in the postseason. So all six MVP finalists, for the first time ever, were on non-playoff teams. And of course, that means that both winners, obviously, were non-playoff uh, participants as well. 
Cy Young Awards. The American League Cy Young uh, the finalists were Garrett Cole, Lance Lynn, and Robbie Ray, who just had a phenomenal year for the Blue Jays, and he was your winner. Robbie Ray finished with the 13-7 record, 284 ERA with 248 strikeouts. Just, I had him on my fantasy team this past year in fantasy baseball. He was unbelievable. So well-deserved for Robbie Ray. In the National League, your Cy Young finalists were Max Scherzer, Corbin Burns, and Zach Wheeler. All really good choices there. Uh, your winner, though, was Corbin Burns. He finished 11-5 with a 243 ERA and 234 strikeouts. He led a pretty ferocious Brewers starting rotation. Your Rookie of the Year finalists. In the American League, Luis Garcia, and then two stars from Tampa Bay. The Rays had Randy Arozarena and Wander Franco. Your winner was Randy Arozarena. He got 22 of the 30 first-place votes. Over on the National League Rookie of the Year, Dylan Carlson, Jonathan India, and Trevor Rogers. And your winner was the Cincinnati Reds second baseman, Jonathan India. He led all rookies in games played, on base percentage, doubles, walks, and runs scored. So a terrific year for India. Your managers of the year. In the American League, your winner was Kevin Cash of the Tampa Bay Rays. He got 19 of the 30 first-place votes, and he led the Tampa Bay Rays to a second consecutive division title, and he became the first manager to win this award in back-to-back years. If you recall, he was the uh, AL manager of the year last year as well. The last manager to do that was Bobby Cox in 2004 and 2005 with the Atlanta Braves. And the National League side, the manager of the year was Gabe Kapler for the San Francisco Giants. This was an easy choice. The Giants had a franchise record, 107 wins in the regular season. They won the NL West and uh, made it to the divisional round where they ended up losing in five games to the Dodgers. But uh, terrific season for the Giants. And last but not least, we got the Comeback Player of the Year awards. In the American League, it's Trey Mancini, the Baltimore Orioles. He missed all of the 2020 season after recovering from and beating colon cancer. And he comes out, he hits 21 home runs this year. He actually finished uh, as the runner-up in the home run derby in the All-Star game this year. So very cool story for Trey Mancini. Uh, he's a great player. Glad to see him back. And then on the National League side, the comeback player of the year was Buster Posey, the catcher for the San Francisco Giants. He also missed last year, but it was due to injury. And he came back this year. He hit 304, which is, for a catcher, that's really damn good. He hit 304 with 120 hits. And all of that, I guess, was a farewell tour because uh, we talked on last episode that Posey actually just announced his retirement from Major League Baseball. So uh, at least he, he went out with some kind of hardware, even though it wasn't the one he was looking for. Now, we're in the offseason in, in baseball, so that means free agent signings. There's been several noteworthy signings. I'll just run through these. Pitcher Eduardo Rodriguez. Five years and $77 million with the Detroit Tigers. He, of course, led the Boston Red Sox in wins last season. Pitcher Noah Syndergaard from the New York Mets. Uh, he signed a one-year, $21 million deal with the Los Angeles Angels, and he missed all of last year after having Tommy John surgery. 
So he can throw 101 miles an hour. Dude's just, uh, he's an incredible pitcher. Great arm strength. Um, his contract would seem to indicate that he is fully recovered from Tommy John surgery at $21 million. So we'll see how that goes. But with the Mets, he was 47 and 31 with a 332 over, uh, 332 ERA over six years with the Mets. So he's a good, good pitcher. Getting out of New York will probably help him. Uh, the Angels also signed another former Mets pitcher, relief pitcher Aaron Loop, two years and $17 million. Loop was nasty last year. He had a .95 ERA over 56 and two-thirds innings. So that's really a good relief pitcher there, good signing for the Angels. You can tell where they're wanting to improve. The San Francisco Giants, we just talked about them. They re-signed two of their key starting pitchers from this past season. Anthony Descofani, three years and $36 million. And then Alex Wood, two years worth north of $10 million. Uh, both of them were key to the 107-win season that they just had. Now their top pitcher is Kevin Gossman, and he's also a free agent. So it'll be interesting to see if he re-signs or if he tests the market and makes more money elsewhere. Uh, Justin Verlander, remember him? He pitched probably about half the year and then left with an injury. He re-signed with the Houston Astros on a one-year $25 million deal. Includes a player option for the 2023 season. So uh, just like Noah Syndergaard, uh, his contract, Verlander's contract seems to indicate that he's completely healthy. The Chicago White Sox have really uh, maybe been the most improved, most active team thus far in the offseason. They picked up the $16 million option on relief pitcher Craig Kimbrell. Of course, you recall they got him at the trade deadline this past year uh, from the Cubs, and he did not pitch that well. He had a 5.09 ERA over the last two months of the season for Chicago. Uh, never really took over the closer's role from Liam Hendricks, but um, in addition to picking up the option on Kimbrell, they have signed relief pitcher Kendall Graveman to a three-year, $24 million deal. Um, as of this recording, I don't believe it was official, but it sounded pretty imminent. And if you recall, the Houston Astros actually traded for Kendall Graveman at the deadline this year, acquired him from the Seattle Mariners, and uh, helped get them to the World Series. But if it becomes, if this deal is official, which I believe it, it just about is, that would give the White Sox just an absolutely nasty trio of closers, essentially. Graveman was the closer for Seattle for years. Uh, Kimbrell was the club uh, Cubs closer for the last several seasons. And then, of course, they have... Liam Hendricks. So they have three close. There's your seven, eighth, and ninth inning pitchers right there. Just absolutely nasty uh, to compete in the competitive American League. So uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, they signed pitcher Steven Matz to a four-year, $44 million contract. He had a great year with the Toronto Blue Jays this past year. And then lastly, the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, they have signed their young phenom shortstop, Wander Franco. If you recall, I just mentioned his name in the Rookie of the Year finalist conversation. Well, Wander Franco is 20 years old, and he just signed a 12-year, $223 million contract extension. That's $18.5 million per season. And this kid's 20 years old. That's the largest contract in Tampa Bay Rays history, and it's the largest contract in MLB history for a player with less than one year of service. Franco didn't even start this past season on the Tampa Bay Rays roster. He started in AAA. He got called up to the big leagues 
approximately halfway through the season, maybe a little after. And so without even playing one full season in the big leagues, Tampa Bay is throwing him $223 million over the next 12 years. Now, if you've watched the kid, you've seen he's absolutely incredible. Um, but funny thing I, I noticed, Tampa Bay Rays, their payroll combined over the last four seasons was $233.3 million. Wander Franco's extension is $223 million, so almost as much as their payroll for the last four seasons combined. Uh, real quick, over into college football again. Conference USA, they announced that they have added four new members to Conference USA. It's Jacksonville State Gamecocks, the Liberty Flames, the New Mexico State Aggies, and the Sam Houston State Bearcats. Sam Houston State has been a Division II powerhouse, or FCS powerhouse, and uh, so it's good to see them get into a, a good, steady group of five conference here in Division One, Some coaching changes. All right, I mentioned the last episode or the episode before last, Texas Tech football. They had fired Matt Wells after three seasons. Well, they hired Baylor assistant coach Joey McGuire to replace him. And McGuire is currently, uh, was currently the associate head coach and the outside linebackers coach at Baylor. He's been there for five years and he was originally hired by Matt Rule back in 2017 as a tight ends coach. So I know quite a few Texas Tech fans, uh, some friends of mine. They all seem to be really stoked about the Joey McGuire hire. Um, he uh, is getting a lot of money. So Texas Tech is trusting that he's going to uh, take their program to the next step. Um, another coach that was hired was UConn. Uh, they UConn football has just been absolutely terrible, um, kind of a laughing stock. They hired uh, former UCLA and former NFL head coach Jim Mora to be their new head coach. So uh, hopefully he can get it to where they uh, are actually somewhat competitive there. Uh, but we'll see on that. Now a firing uh, of, of a coach, Florida, the University of Florida, very elite program, they have fired head coach Dan Mullen. And this came, this firing came fresh off the heels of their week 11 loss here, or week week 12 loss, I think, with the bye here in college. For this past weekend, Florida lost in overtime to Missouri, and uh, Mullen got canned. Mullen was 34-15 and 15 over four seasons. Uh, it seemed to me he was there longer than four years, but I guess it was only four seasons there. But um, So he's out, so... There is now coaching vacancies at USC, LSU, and Florida. Three pretty elite-level programs. And one name that had been floating around as a possible replacement hire is Penn State head coach James Franklin. He's been tossed around all those big schools because he's a fantastic coach. And hearing the rumblings of that, Penn State decided that they were not going to let him go. They have signed James Franklin to a... 10-year contract extension to keep him in uh, a Nittany Lion head coach for uh, the next 10 years through the 2031 season. Uh, James Franklin, 67-32 and 32 over eight seasons at Penn State. He won the Big Ten Championship in 2016, and the Nittany Lions have made a bowl game in seven of the eight years he's been there. So uh, Franklin is staying at Penn State. 
couple other quick, quick noteworthy things here. Uh, college basketball, women's, the Division I NCAA women's basketball tournament is going to expand from 64 to 68 teams. Uh, this is all, you know, playoff expansion in football, playoff. Uh, we're all about playoff expansion right now, so I would expect the men's tournament to uh, maybe follow suit, but that's something to keep an eye on. And then over in the PGA Tour, I mentioned this earlier, no event this week, but there is uh, no no PGA Tour event, no no tournament this weekend. But there is, um, if you recall, uh, the match between Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, you know that whole thing, uh, the match. And it, it this year uh, it is going to be between the newly formed rivalry of Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka. Well, those two will be squaring off head to head for a twelve hole match. This Friday, Black Friday, November 25th, at the Wynn Golf Club in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's a par 70 distance for the course is 6,722 yards. Now, uh, again, they're only playing 12 holes and made the best man win. That's going to give them bragging rights and uh, a one-up on that rivalry. Now, if you recall over the Ryder Cup uh, back in September, they were actually pretty cordial with each other, and uh, it looked like they were maybe getting over whatever beef they had, but uh, now they get to really settle it here in a uh, 12-hole match. So if you're looking for something to watch on Friday, just uh, keep that in mind. Um, And we'll close up here with uh, this last noteworthy news. Uh, The Staples Center in Los Angeles, California. Of course, that venue is home to the L.A. Lakers, the L.A. Clippers, the L.A. Kings, and the L.A. Sparks of the WNBA. Of course, a gazillion concerts get played there, and it has been named the Staples Center for the past 22 seasons, 22 years. That being said, the Staples Center is getting a new name. Uh, Starting on Christmas Day here in about a month, it is going to be renamed to the Crypto.com Arena. I wish I was making that up, but that is exactly uh, what the Staples Center will be called, Crypto.com Arena. Now, I've never even heard of that site, but Crypto.com is paying $700 million for the naming rights, and the contract is for 20 years. 20 years. For the next 20 years, Crypto.com Arena is what will be in Los Angeles instead of the Staples, Staples Center. That is the richest naming rights contract in sports history. And, I mean, I would expect it to be at the Staples Center. That is one of the prime primetime venues in all of professional sports. Uh, I've, I've been to the Staples Center myself. Um, everything happens at the Staples Center. You know, it's just with the amount of prolific teams that play there and championships that have been won there and players that have played there. It's just, I think it's hilarious that Crypto.com Arena is what it's going to be called. But yeah, that's, I, I just, I had to squeeze that one in there uh, because I thought that was just, it's almost embarrassing really. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.